Welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm Sal Interdenado. The Black Knight Nation podcast is sponsored by Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon is a world-class consulting firm that trains employees in sports psychology secrets that drastically improve work performance. Higher Echelon's founder is Joe Ross, who's a retired Army and who played and later coached at West Point. And we thank Dr. Joe Ross for sponsoring this podcast. And we'd like to welcome, it's an honor to welcome a very special guest to today's podcast, uh, Bob Caslin. 59th superintendent of West Point and now president of the University of South Carolina. Bob, thanks for thanks for this time. It's an honor. Really appreciate it. Hey, Sal, how you doing? It's great to be with you. Good, good. I, I was just talking to a, an Army football player from the, eight, the mid 80s uh, today, just trying to get some stories, you know, trying to get some stories. And he's saying that you were an officer representative with the team at that at that point. And, um, uh, you know, he said that you were very fair and you were very to the point. But he also said that he didn't really know right away that you were an Army football player. You know, he, he, he didn't really uh, tell 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 the players at that time that you were an Army football player. And I thought that um, maybe just um, maybe start this with start this with that. Um, just um, your your time as an Army football player and what you remember about that going back to you know your playing days and your your days as a cadet. So I played, uh, let's see, so I was a plebe in 1971 when I first got there, graduated in 1975. Uh, I'll give a shout out to my very close friend and classmate, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, just a great guy as well. But nevertheless, um, those were back in the days where it was all about mental toughness and, and fitness and ugliness. It, was, it wasn't about being heavy and things like that. So Although that you know the kind of the football program was really in transition, and that's when people started using weights quite a bit, and weight programs were were beginning to be introduced. The NCAA would not allow freshmen to play on the varsity, so there was a freshman team, and then there was a scout team. You know, like they called it the B squad, and the, and then they had the A squad, which would play you know your Division One teams and stuff like that. Uh, schedules were really made about ten years in advance. And gosh, I remember, well, my freshman and sophomore year, I think we were six and four both years with uh, victories over Navy both times. And my junior year uh, it was when everything kind of crashed at that particular point, and uh, it was a bad year. And then my senior year, we brought in a new coach, Homer Smith. He actually was one of the founding coaches of the triple option, archaic triple option, not, not a lot of the veer type of stuff that you see nowadays. And uh, so, so I was a senior playing when, when uh, Homer Smith came on board, and I think our record back then was like uh, three and eight or something like that. Again, we did not win the Navy. So one of the my biggest disappointments is losing the Navy uh, my senior year, my last very very last football game. I was fortunate to stay on with uh, two great guys, Willie Thigpen and Bobby Johnson, uh, as a grad assistant. And as a side note, that's where I met my wife. She was the secretary of the football office. Wow. And <laughs> it was the rest uh, is history, right? So. The story in itself. So then I went out and um, did my stuff. I was an infantryman. So I went out and did my infantry stuff. And I was went back to the career course. And I had commanded before the career course. So they wanted to, the Army wanted to send me into recruiting command. And I said, no, nah, I don't want to go into recruiting command. So. I sent a note to Homer Smith, and Homer Smith said, come back here. We need a offensive coordinator for the scout team, for the B team. And I said, sign me up, coach, because I was thinking about getting out and going into coaching at that time. And that was, uh, you know, right around 80 to, eight, 80 to 82 time frame. Um, 
Then there was a commandant by the name of Joe Franklin, great guy, former Army football player. He saw me as a coach, and he says, you need to be a tack officer. And I was going to night school to get my master's degree, which I did. I got it. And so he hired me out of the coaching realm to be a tack officer. And when I was a tack officer, that's when I was the OR. So that's kind of the, the thing. And after I was a TAC officer, two years as a TAC officer as an OR, that's when after that I went back into the regular army and then the rest is history. So that's that's how it all worked out. Wow. And you played all offensive line for for the for the football team, right? Yeah, I was offensive center. What was that like back then? I mean, it's so much different now uh, then than it is now, right? I mean, what was it like in the triple? Was it different in the triple option offense or? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, so I was always the light. I, I weighed, I mean, I think my junior year when I, I started both junior and senior, my junior, we were about 210 pounds. My senior, I got up to maybe about 215 soaking wet. And, uh, you know, it, it <laughs> but, you know, I was like, I still, at, at that point, I was like a 4740, which for an offensive lineman was not, not all that bad. It was at least as fast as the defense. I mean, the backs, the offensive backs, and you know, now they run four threes and four fours and stuff, but, you know, so I was still quick off the ball and I had great technique. And, you know, then you have the mental toughness that you put into it. And so that compensated for the loss of weight. I was always the lightest guy on both sides of the ball. But, uh, you know, but I did get I won two game balls, you know, as an offensive right. line uh, for the offense and uh, proud to be able to have those uh, still today. Um, and I at the end of my senior year, I was awarded uh, the the most outstanding linemen, both offense, defense wow. in, in consideration. Uh, for the army football team and that's a big proud uh plate that i have as well you know that's awarded every year but i'm very proud back in 1975 to have received that yeah and it's something that i really wanted to just get into your football memories because like you said that there was you had a, you had a, a really nice career as a football player and then to come back and stay and be a part of the program too that must have been a really really special like you said when you get the call from homer smith you must be like okay let's go you know um and then Later on, after you know a decorated military career, then you you come back um, first as the commandant, right, and then then as the superintendent. I did well. You know, well, I came back as a football coach, stayed on as a tack officer. Well, before that, I was a grad assistant, then a football coach, then as a tack officer. Then twenty years later, I come back as a commandant. You know, and then I think seven years later, I come back as a superintendent. So it was great because my wife, you know, I met she she was a local girl, so she. Okay. <laughs> He was from Holland Falls, so every time I came back to West Point, she was right at home and she loved it. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so when you come back as a superintendent, then I guess one of your, I guess one of the more important tasks is, at least on the athletic side, is to hire a football coach. And I just want to ask you about that process. I, I, I remember talking to JT Thompson a little bit about that. Um, you know, man, I, I was talking to a football grad today, and he said that was a move that kind of winning foot brought winning football back to West Point with the hiring of Jeff Munkin. And I was just, um, what, what did you see in Jeff where you thought that this was a guy that can, cause I know that you really stressed winning at everything, not just sports when you were superintendent. So what did you see in Jeff that you thought that could, could change things on the football side at West Point? Yeah, no, you're right. When the army, when the nation puts the army in harm's way, they don't expect you to go out there and look good and do your best. They want you to win and to win the right way. So it's a culture, it's an ethos that 
as the leader development institution for the United States Army that needs to be instilled in, into the culture of West Point. Uh, winning matters and winning the right way matters. So, I mean, that's best exemplified on the fields of friendly strife and certainly with the football program. Um, you know, I, you know, the football coach at the time was Coach Ellerson. He's just an incredible guy, great coach. I loved him. You know, but the things just were not clicking, as you know, because we lost the Navy for a number of years consistently and things like that. Um, I, I realized there's a couple things that were tremendously important. Number one, you need leadership to inspire men like me at 210 pounds to play Division One football. And the only way you're going to get there is to get these people to play to levels they never thought was possible. And that's a degree of ex playing to excellence. And that is, you know, inspiring, encouraging, coaching, developing to get to get kids to play to the upper level of their potential. And if they play to the upper level of their potential on a consistent basis, then that becomes the new norm. And then if they continue to push and continue to get better and continue to get stronger, then they get better and better and better. And that's the developmental process of a football player. You, but uh, but it's leadership to inspire someone to understand the why and the purpose and not negotiate the price for success and do whatever it takes to get yourself ready to play to those levels. In the meantime, leadership says that I'm going to play for my brothers. I will never let them down. I don't care what it takes. We are one team and I'm going to lay it on the line no matter what it takes for the, my brothers uh, on the team. And that becomes so tremendously important as well. But that's stuff that doesn't happen automatically. Leadership instills that in you. The next important thing is, is um, you got to play with discipline. You know, what's unique about option football is the most mistake-prone repertoire of offense that's out there. You know, because you you know you know the whole deal. Yeah. So so the so the issue is, you know, how do you play with discipline to minimize? the turnovers and the fumbles and the penalties and things like that. I mean, here's the math behind discipline. You only get the ball about 12 to 13, 14 times a game. And if you're going to win in division one, you got to put at least 30 points on the board. So if you're going to put 30 points on the board, that means that you got to score either a touchdown or field field goal. Half the time you get the ball. If you get the ball 12 times a game and you have four fumbles or four turnovers, what happens to your law of averages of your opportunities to score? Not to mention the field position that you're giving up and, and all that sort of thing. Or if you have a long drive going and all of a sudden you have a holding penalty. And now instead of, you know, second and four, it's first and first and and uh, first and twenty-five or something, you know? And not and you go, well, you know, then you're not gonna you just stops your drives. So discipline becomes so tremendously important. And I remember asking Coach Jim Young. You know, how'd you coach discipline? Because he had one of the most mis less, the least mistakes, and he was in the top five in the nation, even though he had the most mistake prone offense. He said, I absolutely never tolerated a mistake in practice or during the game. If we laid the ball on the ground during practice, that kid was pulled out. He went and run, run the steps all the way up to the very top. His second team went in there, his third team went in there, and he loses the opportunities to get better and, and he loses repetitions. So, 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 and then we would just, teach holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball. And, you know, quite frankly, Munkin did all that. So as we did the interviews, um, you know, the athletic director, Boo Corrigan and myself, uh, Boo put together a great slate 
And and when we sat down with Coach Munkin, it was pretty clear that he was a kid. I mean, he was a coach that can motivate, that can inspire. I remember when I talked to him about discipline, how, I mean, he had all the right answers, doing all the right things. And I just knew right there, that's the guy that we needed. I couldn't make the decision by myself because there was my boss, who was the chief of staff of the Army, also former <laughs> yeah. player, was very interested in, in who we were going to select. And uh, we had some good conversations about that. And matter of fact, we had applied Jeff Munkin up over Christmas holiday to the Pentagon to have a one-on-one <laughs> interview with, uh, with uh, uh, G- General Odierno. Uh, but sure enough, you know, he, he didn't let us down. He's just one of those great guys that uh, understood what it was going to take to win, to inspire kids, play on the team, play on the line for each other, play with discipline. You know, first thing he did, he said, here's my SOP for the locker room. Walks in there the next day, whoever was not to standard, they made their locker room went in the visiting room for a couple of months, you know. Yes. I got the message real quick. And uh, so discipline matters and winning matters. And so you get a Jim Young or a, a Jeff Monk, and, and they're the type of leaders, coaches that can not only inspire kids, they can really make a difference for, for the program. No doubt. And you see, like, it didn't happen overnight, right, the first couple of years of Jeff. But then once um, they found the right mix and the right um, – everything just seemed to click and to be on the field um, as a former player, to be on the field and see those wins against Navy, right. And see those commander in chief's trophies being hoisted. I mean, what's that feeling like that, you know, you had, a, you had a, a role in that, but also just a joy probably too, of seeing the, the program back in back winning and back on the right track. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> When we finally beat Navy after 15 years, 14 losses, in the 15th year we beat them. Um, you know, it's just a thrill to to finally beat Navy and to turn it around. But I was so happy for the players, and I was so happy for the coaches, and I was so happy for our fans and our alumni who year after year after year after year, you know, were, were starving for a victory over Navy. I know what it feels like. I mean, I remember, I remember in Iraq, you know, staying up at two o'clock watching the Army Navy football game, and and then watching us lose, and then that long walk back to my hutch, and it. I said this. I said I said to myself, I have anything ever to do with this. We're going to fix this, and uh, you know. God, God, with God's provision, it was able to able to make it happen. And the Commander-in-Chief Trophy is the same way. 22 years without uh, the Commander-in-Chief Trophy. 22 years. And then to be able to go to the White House and celebrate, um, you know, with the senior leadership of our nation, that was just a very special time. But, but to be able to ho- hoist that Commander-in-Chief Trophy in that locker room was just a very special thing. Those kids, they just, I, I was just happy for them. I was happy for our coaches and I was happy for our fans and I was happy for our alumni because they deserve what, what coach Munkin was able to produce. Yeah. Cause you know, I remember writing about it and I, me- I remember coach Munkin always saying that those past seasons to Navy, that was not on this, the team, the current team that was playing these, these, uh, the cadets and players had their own, you know, history to write and, um, and boy, did they write it. How about the rush on the field after the streak is broken? I mean, what are, are, are you taking, I was taking cover, Bob, I was taking cover. I was on the field. I was taking cover. I mean, I, I was, I was just, you know, holding my ground because I, you see fans coming out of the stands and stuff, cadets coming out of the stands. That was crazy. That was, that was a great, one of my best feelings in journalism. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, everybody's hugging me, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was great. And I'm just trying to work my way over to where, you know, the players were and the coaches. And, it, yeah, it was a great time of celebration. You know, I, I would say this, Sal. There, there was a – if I had to put my finger on what made the difference in producing a winning team, I mean, it was the belief in themselves that they can do it. And – you can see them getting getting better and better and better. And I think it was Eastern Michigan. We were playing away. And we were leading, you know, like 10 to 3 or something like that. And all of a sudden, it was 14 to 10. I, I don't know the exact score. You could look it up. And then all of a sudden, when their back was to the wall, they received, they got the ball. And rather than, you know, inwardly folding with self-doubt, as they had done over and over year after year, something inspired this team to get the ball and drive the length of the field and score the touchdown that to put them ahead by a couple points. And then they ran the clock out and then won the game. That way, that right there was a transformation that they mentally, that they can believe that they can do it. And that no matter what it takes, we have the ability. We'll never let our brothers down and we're going to do whatever it takes to pull a victory out. And to me, that was the most transforming moment in turning the Army football program around. If I had to put my finger on one thing, it was at that game, and it was just, you know, Michigan, just terrible, windy, cold, and brutal. Nobody in the stands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and But they did. They went, and they won the game. And from there, you know, from there, it, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, it didn't matter. Like you look at this year, what, what the team had to go through and what all college football teams had to go through with the pandemic and with nobody in the stands. And you look at the season that they were able to produce, uh, you know, this year, it, it's another just uh, it's another way, another feather in, in the players caps, these players caps and the coaching staffs caps this season. Right. Because, I mean, out South Carolina, you know, you, you guys had to go through it, too. So it was not obviously not your ordinary football season. Yeah, you saw a couple of those moments uh, this season against Air Force and against Navy, both the goal line stand and all that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, you know what I, I was thinking about? There's nothing better in college football. There's nothing better in the uh, Army football locker room in college football after a big win like that, right? With just like Coach Monk and I want to fight, you know, those kind of like sometimes speeches. Sometimes he, he I remember during their break breakthrough season, he'd come in every time they win. A game he put the fingers up of how many wins they had on the season and the and the players went nuts. I mean, how he just seems like he, the players he's beloved by the players, right? And that's that's a sign that you that, that you have the coach in place that you that that you that you envisioned, right? Yeah, you know, I think it's a principle of leadership, and that is leading from the front and sharing hardships and being in the crucible along with your soldiers, along with those whom you lead. You're not leading from the back. You're not leading behind a computer. You're out there with them, sharing the hardships every single time. And when he's in the locker room relating one-to-one -one with the team like he is, you know, I, I mean, they're, I mean, they're not really, they don't see him necessarily as a coach. They see him as a brother in arms. And they're, what they're, he's the guy as a brother in arms that they never want to let down. And, and, you know, there's someone to celebrate, and then when he comes in there, they are certainly celebrating and having a great time, and yeah, it's all well-deserved. No doubt, no doubt. I wanted to talk to you about um, 
you know, a social media uh, part of this, um, you know, you look at one of the uh, one of the gifs that is out there is uh, um, a, a, a video of you riding the, the motorcycle leading on the cadets and leading on the football team for season opener. Um, I thought it was Fordham maybe one year I was there. I was there. Uh, wh- what was that like? What was the um, you know, wh- 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 where did you get that idea? Because that was I remember uh, being at a practice and you taking a practice run. On, on, on the bike, um, where did you get that idea from, and how, how do you think? Because what I'm trying to get at a little bit also is how the um, the relationship between the core and the af- and the, and the cadet athletes at West Point. I thought that was something that was important to you, and I thought bringing those two together it certainly happened um, during your time at West Point. Oh yeah, well first of all, you know every single athlete is a cadet and a cadet first. And every cadet is, are all cadets are athletes, you know, regardless if you're playing NCAA or intramurals or whatever. So, um, you know, because athleticism is so important to physical leadership, particularly in the crucible of ground combat. So that's where their the bond is, is in that athleticism. So you don't, so you have a, everybody's an athlete. So everybody in the stands, even though they're not on the field, relates from an athletic standpoint to the athletes that are out, out there, out there on the field. And the athletes know that they're cadets first, that they are not like Texas A&M, a football team separate from the core cadets, you know, where they live together, eat together and study together and do everything together. I mean, you applaud that sort of model, but that doesn't work at West Point. Those cadets, since those athletes are cadets first, they live with the core cadets. Their roommates are not football players. Their roommates are the, their teammates from their cadet company. And so that design fully integrates the football team into the core cadets and it allows the core cadets to relate to the football team because other than those couple hours that are at practice on the football field, they're with their brothers and sisters within the cadet companies and the classroom and everything else. Nothing's different. So that's a very special thing. And I think that's tremendously important. Some people would say that some people would say that that's kind of an impediment because it's a, a distraction. And I always argued it's an enabler. It really enables the, the, the guys because not only are they playing for their brothers and on the on the football field, they're not playing for their brothers and sisters in the core cadets. And they never want to let the core cadets down as well. You know, that's why they relate so well. So it becomes so tremendously important that they understand that model and that design and that they are cadets first. Now, having said that, there's there's huge demands for cadets time and athletes are the ones that are really caught in the in the crux of the dean pulling at them the tac officer pulling at them uh and the athletic coach pulling at them and they're pulled in so many different things so so it you know so what i did as a superintendent is i had a weekly meeting where it was a meeting with me the dean the commandant and the athletic director and that was our executive cabinet and we would just discuss all these issues issues for the university and issues on how to better integrate athletics and academics and and military and character development within the core cadets and that once you have the leadership working together then that whole spreads down throughout the entire organization and that's important there will always be by just by design that tug and that nature of pulling at each other but when you when you're able to have leadership that works together, and then the, the entire organization works together, and the cadets themselves will work together as well. No doubt. 
the whole the whole motorcycle uh that 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 where did that idea come about <laughs> i gotta i gotta ask you about it so uh you know well first of all you know we have that um that one motorcycle with high handlebars yeah uh, you know so we have that one it's there right in the in the weight room so every time i walk in there i would look at it and say i used to ride a motorcycle years ago i laid it on the ground a couple times and i said okay <laughs> i'm not gonna ride anymore um so i had some familiarity with it anyway um so i thought it just would be neat someone has suggested well why don't you ride that you know and lead the lead the team out and i go you know a lot of pressure you don't turn that thing over and fall on the 50 yard line <laughs> that wouldn't go over very well you know it's, it, i my position was as the soup man i'm gonna do whatever it takes to, to fire and motivate not only the players but the core cadets and uh you know use me as the as the punching dummy I, i'll be glad to do it man if it gets them pumped up if it fires them up then i'll be glad to uh, get, uh, go into any role you want you know when we broke out the football uniforms for the uh, army navy game and we was the 10th mountain uniform so yep. it was white yep. you know that was the one we played in the snow as well if you remember yep so they asked me to break out break that uniform out uh at the hockey rink on a snowmobile so i said sure I, i'll put the uniform on the helmet no one could tell who i was i ride out there in front of the team on the snowmobile and do a donut right there in the middle and then jump off pull my helmet off <laughs> so I, but if they want me to do that i'll be glad to do it but that's what to me that's what you know leadership's all about so glad to do it I can't imagine the the, uh, the the applause from the the cadets when you did the snowmobile. That must have been that that no doubt Tate Rink was rocking that night, you know. So, um, just I, I you know I was uh, checking out uh, your your Twitter account and I saw that something about President PT. And so, um, can you can you talk about that? Is that something that you created um, since you've been at South Carolina? It, I guess it stands for physical training, or what does PT stand for? Yeah, that physical training. So, well, I did that when I was a cadet. I mean, when I was a soup at West Point, I would do PT every Thursday. I was out there every morning anyway, but I did it every Thursday and advertised with the cadets. And if they did a PT session with me, then if they did it 10 times. I give them one of my soup coins and they're, they're all pumped to do that. And there's a good number that would come on a regular basis. So, it was just it gave me the opportunity it gave me the opportunity to connect with students here not cadets obviously but just with students here so so i was glad to do that and um so i just carried over i said okay well i'm going to start doing some pt here on thursdays and if you're interested in joining me if you do it 10 times i'll be glad to give you one of my uh, president coins and uh it's amazing how many students really are attracted to it and, and then I'm there every day. So I've got students now that will come on Thursday when I advertise it. But they like this morning, I had six students uh, with me this morning doing it. And um, just and a number of them have finished their 10. They're like on 30 or 40, you know, they're doing it on a regular basis. But it's good for me because, you know, it, it, it first it sends the important message that I want to be approachable and that I want to engage with students. And, and that is important. And second, just the opportunity to engage with them gives me an opportunity to hear what's on their mind and, you know, listen to them and see some of the issues they're concerned with and things like that. Oh. Yeah, uh, we had a, a former Army football player chime in with a, a question about how you got the nickname Soup Daddy. Would you like to get into that? Well, I, really, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> All of a sudden, the cadets started calling me Soup Daddy. So, 
I didn't know whether it was insulting at first or not, but now it's a very endearing sort of thing, you know. And you know, well, one of the things that suit that this, the Corps has done over many years is whenever the soup addresses the Corps cadets, you stand up by the podium, the whole Corps goes, soup, you know. Yeah. If you're not there, you may think it's like boo, you know, like they're booing you. But anyway, it's uh, every time I have a guest speaker, you know, at one of the like plea parent weekend or something like that or 100th night, I tell them ahead of time, I say, when I go up there to introduce you, you're going to hear a bunch of you think you think you're hearing booze, but it's really soup. So but soup daddy is just something I'm honored to be able to be the soup daddy and endeared that they would consider me as such. So, yeah, at first. Right. You think. But then you say it almost became, like you said, a little bit of a term of endearment there. And it definitely I think it really um, showed the um, like you said, bringing the core and and West Point together. I mean, it shows that, hey, that the cadets are. That's what they the nickname that maybe they gave you. I don't know if it started on social media or, but it, it, it was it was it was neat to follow. Um, just wanted to ask you, you know, your the process that you um had when you were hiring Jeff. I know that recently, um, the same process you went through at at, at South Carolina. Did, did what you um the hiring process of the Army did that kind of help you through the process at South Carolina? Um, just having that experience doing that or. Yeah, it did a lot. Um, the uh, so I've really had a, a good time uh, working through trying to find a coach here, and I think we got a great one. The uh, but you know I worked with the athletic director, walked him through what we had done uh, to get ready for Jeff Monk, and he did a wonderful job putting the slate together. And uh, we started uh, doing the interviews. It was in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, the season was over right after Thanksgiving for us. Um, and then I ended up catching COVID in the, <laughs> in the middle of the interview process. Oh, wow. So, you know, so there was a, like a week and a half of interviews that were, that I had to do from my house, you know, on zoom. And the athletic director was actually flying out there to each one of them doing a face to face, but we got through it and uh, we made a great selection. And, but, you know, same sort of criteria was necessary. Um, you know, when you play in the Southeast Conference and Power Five Conference, like we are, I mean, these are some inc incredible athletes, and they've got a lot of options uh, that are available to them. Um, but really, to be able to build that team and lay down the line for each other uh, really is something that is, takes a very special talent that I think the coach that we have here with Shane Beamer is he's he's already demonstrated the ability to do that. So we're excited about him and we're excited about the team and we know we're going to have to do some building uh, um, here in South Carolina, but I guarantee you he's going to put a phenomenal program that's going to really catapult this university and this football team to some of the better levels and the best levels of the Southeast Conference and elsewhere. Yeah, when um when the opening happened, uh, I was thinking maybe there's a reunion between Bob Caslin and Jeff Munkin, right? But then when the postseason happens and the, with the bowl situations coming up, there was some sometimes in some of the uh, you know predictions there was maybe Army and little Army in South Carolina possibly playing in a bowl game. Maybe down the road we'll see. Um, would you like to see that maybe a, a South Carolina Army matchup down the road? Um, you know, if it's a bowl game, if it's a regular season game, would you like to see something like that? Yeah, I would. My, my previous coach, when I talked to him about it, said, absolutely not. He saw what happened with Michigan and Ohio State and Oklahoma. 
<laughs> he goes, there's no way am I going to let you bring your army down here. <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, Shane Beamer was uh, played against army during the Oklahoma army game um, a year yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. I talked to him about bringing army down here, and he goes, uh, I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I get, I mean, was there any chance of, of a bowl game between army and South Carolina this, this past season, or was that just a prediction model? They, I don't know. I, well, you know, there was, I know Army didn't have a, I mean, you, yeah. okay, you know, some of the bowl games are aligned with the conferences. So we had a, we, and then because of the COVID and the win-loss record, you threw the win-loss record out. It was just a matter of having a football team that was healthy enough to go into a, a bowl game at that time. That was really the bigger criteria than the win-loss. So, um, matter of fact, South Carolina ended up being assigned a bowl game, even though we had the losing record, um, because it was the Southeast Conference bowl game, and it had and it had to go in that direction. Um, and so, we already had had an opponent. Now, now Southeast Conference, I mean, the the uh, the the, the uh, South Carolina team ended up not going because they themselves, in preparation, got COVID big time, particularly with the coaches. So we didn't have any coaches left. Uh, so the goal, so the game just had to be canceled altogether. You know, Army's bowl game initially at the Independence Bowl, I think it was, was yeah. canceled. And then they were fortunate enough to go play West Virginia and Patriot Bowl and one of the other bowls. Yeah, Liberty Bowl. Yeah. You know, and quite frankly, I think everybody in the nation was watching Army and wanted Army to, to get another bowl game. I was talking to my commissioner in the Southeast Conference. And um, matter of fact, Army took his position because it was a Southeast conference position in the Liberty bowl. And since he could not fill it, he, he opened it up and they gave it to army instead. So that's a little, some of the stuff behind all that. Yeah. Uh, and I talked to him about, you know, what, what can, is there anything we can do to help army get a bowl game because they really need to. So wow. it, it all that happened as, as uh, you, you saw how it played out. So it was just one of it's just, it's one of those seasons, you know, that was kind of bizarre. But I'm glad for Army that they finally got a bowl game against a, a really par par five conference like they did and, and had an incredible game, respectable game. No doubt. The connection continues, right? Bet a little connection between you and West Point a little bit, right? Help, help putting a good word in for them to get that bowl game. So You know, if, if Army does play South Carolina, that'd be tough. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ask. I'm not gonna I will ask. have plenty of army army swag underneath. You know, I might be out there with my, you know, my South Carolina coat or whatever. But there'll be plenty of army army swag underneath. And my wife Shelly too. She's going to be fully decked out in her army stuff. I like to see. Well, you know, I remember talking to Jeff Munkin, and he said that he would never he would never want to play Georgia Southern, right? Because that's where he came from. He had a lot of relationships that he built there. But then this season with the, the 2020 season with the COVID, they scheduled Georgia Southern. And now they have a couple games way down the road against Georgia Southern too. So I mean, you know, you, you, ne you Bob, you never know. You just never know, right? I know. No, that's good. I, it was great to see that. Yeah, and uh, maybe uh, we will we will get that uh, reunion on the football field too. But Bob, really appreciate you taking out the time. I know you have a busy schedule. We really appreciate the talk. It was great catching up with you. And uh, real thanks a lot for joining us today. Well, Sal, thanks so much for Black Knight Nation. You guys are great, and I love High Echelon. Joe Ross and his team, they do a great job with that organization, and they really are uh, trusted, and, and they really do produce an excellent prod product. So I want to pass that on as well. But 
thanks so much for having me, Sal. And anytime, I mean, I'd be glad to come back anytime, uh, day or night. So thanks for what you're doing and for keeping Black Knight Nation alive. Thanks. Absolutely.